Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm John Agroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com, and from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, well, he's a freelance film writer, and his name is Will Ashton. And uh, Will, can you get off your phone? You're just, you're all thumbs right now. What's that? Click, click, click. Hello? Hello? Will, are you texting with a physical keyboard? What is this, 2005? Uh, I was going to ask, so did you ever own uh, BlackBerry Phil? No. I okay. feel like our generation kind of missed out, because that was more for the working folk, wasn't it? I guess, and the BlackBerry yeah, I mean, was a thing? Like, I've seen people in movies and shows have Blackberries, but yeah, like you said, it's always like... Barack Obama had a BlackBerry. They didn't even get to that part in the movie. Uh, is that common knowledge why do you bring barack obama yeah that was a whole thing the twi- yeah yeah barack obama was like the oh look how young he is he's a president with the blackberry and it was a mm. big deal and i mm. thought it was apparently it wasn't to one will ashton he yeah i was gonna say I, less. I never owned a, i i have only really owned apple related phones for most of wow. my cell phone apple uh, fanboy over here but with the exception of the first phone I ever owned, uh, I don't know if you can guess what kind of phone it was. Let's walk through it. Was it the Motorola Razor? Nope. Was it a Nokia? Nope. Um, well, I mean, was it a flip phone of some sort? I feel like you were, you're a no. little too young for a flip phone, huh? No, it was not a flip hmm. phone. The Rumor? Nope. That what is was it an LG phone? Nope. Hmm. Well, I'm stumped, Will Ashton. It was the uh, Virgin Mobile little like clunky phones. Those like you know those gray ones you get at the mall for like twenty bucks or whatever. Yeah, that it was, was my flip first phone, hit. right? No, not the one I had. I mean, not like a flip a phone. Virgin in the Mobile of, gray phone. Well, what I is guess that? like what it was was I think you could like or maybe that was my second. I actually yeah no the, the phone I had I think it was only one like clunk. It kind of looked like the prototype. Uh, oh, of I see. I googled it. I'm seeing them. I I was not even aware of these phones, quite honest. Um, what I, year was this? Uh, that would have had to have been like 2006. Oh wow! So you had you had a cell phone around the same time I did, because I, I, didn't, I got so. a, I got a cell phone when I was 16, and it was an LG flip phone. Life's good. And then I got the the razor, and then I had the. Uh, after the razor, what was it? It was like the. It was kind of like a rumor, but it wasn't. But it was one of those ones where the keyboard like slid like mm. under it if you turned it horizontal, right? Yep. And then I had uh, the Motorola Q9C, which is my first smartphone. I don't know if you do if you what your first smartphone was, but then from there I had a Droid, and then I had a Droid X, a Droid X2, and then iPhone, and it's been I iPhone can ever say- since. I can say proudly or not that I've never owned an Android, and I don't imagine I ever will, though I don't know what the future holds. They weren't great back then, because back then, those phones, I tell you what. I mean, the Q9C was very similar to a BlackBerry. I will I will say that. It, was, it looked kind of like it. It had the physical keyboard. Um, anyway. But the, the droids were... This is all relevant information. Sure. The droids, I, I did not like them, because they were really cool the first month or so. But then they would like just crap out after a couple of months. And I had to, I had to keep getting them replaced. I had to keep getting the battery replaced. It's not like today where those phones are like, you know what they are, right? Like people get those phones and it's like custom lining and you, red tape, red carp. But we're taking, we're taking a trip into the past for phones, sure. aren't we? Yeah. I mean, not unlike a certain movie we've both seen 
this week? It's called Blackberry. It is a drama comedy movie based on the making and the history and the drama of Blackberry, the phone, and uh, its company, Research in Motion. So based on a true story, this movie is directed by Matt Johnson, who co-wrote the script with Matthew Miller. Uh, It's adapted from a book called Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of Blackberry. And, and I think that we people listening know, I mean, BlackBerry was once ubiquitous. I mean, we have some younger listeners. They might not be as aware of how big BlackBerry was. But yeah, it was huge. I mean, it was the phone that it's what the adults had, you know, like you, us kids, us teens. We, we, we had our flip phones. We had our little gadgets. But we BlackBerry was like innovative in how I was able to do the email and text. And it was like the thing in movies and TV shows, you look back in that era, people had their blackberries and it was a status symbol more than anything else. And I'll tell you what, well, I didn't didn't know anybody who had a blackberry, right? I'm looking on the TV and I'm like, the president has a blackberry. I'm not the president. You apparently, you weren't even aware of that. You were like, who cares? Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't really know a whole lot about blackberry before watching this movie. I'll be honest. I knew some because, you know, some some pe- some people listening know I, I, I'm in the tech business. I learned a lot about BlackBerry kind of after the fact, you know, over yeah. the course of the 20 teens. I was going to say you with them. You uh, yeah, you without giving too much away, you you work for Apple. So I imagine this was like the feel good comedy heartwarmer of the year. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> I, and I yeah, I'll point that out. I mean, look, I worked for Apple for a long time. I don't work for Apple TV. Um, but yeah, you know, and I work in the phone business, you know, I work in the, you know, I, I am certainly a, a connoisseur of tech. Um, I like to keep that, you know, close to my pocket. Uh, you know what I mean? But yeah, I remember like when I first started working for Apple back in 2014, um, this is Apple corporate to be clear. I remember like being like, okay, you know, I, I got this job and I got to learn a lot about all these companies and BlackBerry to me, I mean, RIM in general has always been such an interesting story. I remember around that time, we got a bunch of Steve Jobs movies, right? Steve Jobs died in 2011, I want to say. And when he passed away, that's when, you know, the Walter Isaacson book, Isaacson book was either about to come out or had already come out, but we got those movies, right? We got Jobs, uh, the Mm -hmm. Ashton Kutcher one. We got Steve Jobs, the Danny Boyle movie. We had Pirates of Silicon Valley way before that, but... Yeah, that one, I, uh, the Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin one was, I believe, based on the Walter Isaacson book, at least in part. Yeah, if, not, if it was an Ash- adaptation, yeah. Um, it's hard to say, right? Because both the Ashton Kutcher one is a more like, like re, more of a biopic kind of thing. It's more traditional. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Steve Jobs one, yeah, it's a little bit more sensational, but it's a little bit more experimental. But that's all yeah. to say, like we've gotten movies like this before that are kind of covering these folks who like were you know kind of, we we kind of trace them at the beginning and kind of see how they progress it's actually kind of interesting because this movie blackberry mm-hmm. kind of feels like a mix of jobs and steve jobs the I movie's was, not the person right i was gonna say kind of weirdly the one it did remind me of those films but more so weirdly it reminded me of a film i don't even know if you remember that came out before those two called i steve i believe it was the funnier die i didn't see I did not see Ice Steve, which uh, you know it was fine. It was the the funnier die version, but it had like a lot of like notable cameos in it from like random, you know, like TV stars and like 
comedians and watching this movie with uh, almost a cavalcade of, uh, you know, uh, cameos from, oh, it's that guy. It, it made me think of that film. I hear you. I mean, it, it's certainly like it's it's recent history, right? It's hard to kind of like, you know, cover this sort of thing. We don't have that much hindsight. Now, the movie itself, it stars Jay Baruchel. Uh, it also stars Glenn Howerton. I don't know if I've seen Glenn Howerton in a movie before, unless I forgot. Well, uh, but of you course, saw Always the... Sunny, right? Yeah, of course. Always Sunny. Uh, he was in How It was... Ends, but I didn't see that. You saw The Hunt, I think. No? You didn't? Oh, okay. That's that uh, the Craig Zobel movie. You saw yeah. it. Yeah, I thought I you also saw it. it. But okay. Yeah, then maybe this is the first uh, movie of his uh, you have seen. This is certainly, if I can recall correctly, the first lead film role that he's had. I mean, mostly he's been known for playing, like you said, Dennis on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, oh, wait, which... there are, sorry, there are two movies he's been in, uh, three movies he's been in that I've seen. The Strangers. Oh. I forgot he was in The Strangers. Oh, yeah. Um, He's also in, oh gosh, he's also in Serenity in 2005. Uh, sure. He's in the Crank movies, both of them. Yeah, that's um, right. But he's, yeah, he plays the Doctor, and he's in Everything Must Go. Yeah. The Will Ferrell one. Yeah, I saw that one. So there we Solid go. Movie. I have. Um, but in any case, yeah, I mean, I think part of the joy, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about this movie without jumping ahead, but one of them is seeing, I know you don't really watch Always Sunny, so uh, a big thing about uh, uh, his character is of Dennis is that he's probably easily the worst of the four, give or take. He's like Frank. a sociopath, right? I've seen some Always Sunny. He's, he's, he's kind he's of a, like, this, he collects people's skin or something. Uh, he's just a full blown psychopath. Like he is like, he has the dentist system, which is like his way of like coercing women. Yes. Uh, I've seen that clip. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, as the show has progressed, he's gotten more, uh, self-aggrandizing and deluded and psychopathic, uh, without giving too much away. If anyone wants to catch up, it's a very funny show. Uh, it's hard to recognize him to an extent, unless you watch the show. Right. But like, for me, it's like, man, I really got to look at the guy and be like, yeah, that's, Dennis, but like, what a performance because you just like he disappears into it. I forget sure. like that I'm looking at him quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, he shaved his hair hairline back for the film, uh, and gray, yeah, you know, around the end, a little bit of gray on the sides. Uh, but yeah, he's taking basically that like uncontrolled mania and that you know self interest and uh, all those like psychopathic tendencies of Dennis. And applying it to the biopic mold. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it works spectacular for him. I think this is so, a really so strong... Much, he does that, He does that like so much so that when Rich Summer shows up in the movie, uh, Harry Crane, of course, from Mad Men, there's no sociopathy left for him. He's just got to be normal. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, because uh, I think I sent you... There was a tweet I saw that, that, that made me chuckle of someone's like... When uh, Harry from Mad Men met uh, Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Blackberry, and it's uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shaking hands with the Power Rangers, and that, that, that was a funny little. little <laughs> and, and the joke of and the joke here, of course, being if you don't listen to Mad Men, Men, which we uh, where we cover Mad Men, me, Will, and Mike Overholz, uh, I, I, Rich Summers' character in Mad Men is a psychopath, and I like to point that out a lot. And uh, yeah, so the movie also stars, uh, in addition to Glenn Howerton and Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel plays, by the way, the 
the founder of Research in Motion. He's kind of the genius guy. He's like the Steve Wozniak. And then Glenn Howerton is kind of like the Steve Jobs a little bit. He's more of like a shark. He's more of like a Mark Cuban type, you know, but like, you know, with a much, much more hot headed personality. I, I don't, I'm not saying that Jim Balsilli and Mark Cuban are the same dude, not at all. But, you know, more of that sort of like Wall Street cutthroat kind of dude. Um, these these folks are Canadian, though, to be clear. Um, and then uh, Matt Johnson himself plays uh, Doug, who is like the co-founder of RIM, best friend of Mike Lazaridis, the, the Jay Baruchel character. He's like the real genius, but like Doug is his buddy, but also his conscience. Right. And he's just a rip-roaring fun. You know, this movie starts in 1996 and his wardrobe does not change as the years pass. Right. And it's one of my favorite things about the movie. Uh, I think that's, quite, uh, quite certainly. I also love his uh, assortment of movie t-shirts that he has, uh, a seemingly yes. endless variety, as well as some video games. Uh, but and yeah, I mean, I think picks for movie night, uh, which persists throughout the movie, is uh, yeah, all all yeah. great, all admirable. Yes, absolutely, uh, uh, a, a cavalcade of cult classics, uh, as it were. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing I was thinking of is that this movie weirdly kind of plays as like the B track to the social network and that like, obviously Jay Burchill is kind of like a calmer version of, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Glenn Howerton's kind of playing like a more psychopathic version of, uh, Justin Timberlake's character. And then Matt Johnson's yeah. just kind of playing the like Andrew Garfield character. And it's just kind of like, what if like all the bad, you know, uh, Citizen Kane-esque uh, stuff that happened in their personal lives while on the, the path of success happened in the social network, except instead of making, you know, one of the most defining uh, social media sites in the world, uh, it, it all blew up in their face. And I think that's a really kind of fun and fascinating and tragic story to explore in this film. Yeah. One thing I really like about this movie, it is very focused on just these men and their like interpersonal work relationships they're not really going for a biopic they're not really like we don't spend time with these people's families like we get the indication that they're married you know we see pictures of like their kids and stuff and we certainly see them interacting but the stakes of the movie it never like cheapens it to like well i'm doing this for my daughter like it's never like that it is always like rooted in something more about like the technology and the mythos of BlackBerry. And it's a very interesting decision because in a lesser movie, I think so Matt Johnson, who directs this and stars in it, co-stars, I think what he's tapping into is like, he's like, oh, it's a bigger challenge. It's the less safe route for me to try to get you invested in the mission of the Michael Zyardis character at the beginning and sort of watch as these events play out in ways that people might not be as aware of. Like, I don't want to give too much away, right? And like what happens with BlackBerry, obviously we know BlackBerry is not a big deal anymore, but I think it's not, it's more about the, the journey than the destination. In this case, what facilitated all of this? And I mean, I'm curious if you, whether or not you find a lot of this stuff like true in the sense that like, do you buy sort of the, the dramatization of it, because certainly there's a lot of stuff here that's like stretched for the truth. I think that's we go into these movies knowing that that is the case. But was that an issue for you at all in terms of like tracking this story? Like, did you feel like it was a little bit too like, I don't know, upfront about what it is and and not uh, not adding in that extra social network stuff? Like there's no sort of thing where it's like it's really about how he wanted a girl to notice him. Um, in this case, it's I don't know, it's it's a little bit more um, 
streamlined. I guess so. I mean, in addition to the social network, uh, I kind of look at this as uh, kind of a fascinating uh, parallel to Air, the Ben Affleck movie that just came out. Yeah, uh, just came out. Tetris 2. Sure, I didn't see Tetris, but I feel like Air is another film. uh, You know, it's fairly straightforward in story, but it's also like another film that, give or take a few exceptions, that's primarily about the character's whole or work life uh like their dedication to their job their desire to like kind of go against the odds and kind of prevail uh and you know like get this like huge deal that happens and also like the structurally that was a film that uh was heavily improv uh as i learned after the fact uh because of you uh and i feel like that's also true with this movie like i feel like there's even though like the story of it's pretty tight and structured like i think there i, I see that there's like a lot of like you know improv or room for like them to kind of play with the characters and what they could do like i could be totally wrong and i could be way off the mark but that's just the vibe i get uh watching the film uh it just feels like a kind of interesting comparison where it's like you know you're watching two kind of stories about like characters trying to go against uh you know their inhibitions and trying to like kind of be the version of themselves that's most successful most uh forward thinking and in that case it obviously works out we know that and this version it doesn't work out and we know that but we're still kind of caught up in it and like getting their yeah, perspective yeah. and feeling involved and like uh, understanding emotionally why they're making all these decisions uh, throughout the film. I, I like both movies. It's not a competition, but I like Blackberry more. And the, and the reason I do is because you're right. They are sort of like these dark parallels with, with different sort of like expectations going in for the viewer. Um, unless you just, you don't know that like maybe, maybe some people watching it will be like, Oh yeah, Blackberry. That's cool. That's still around. Isn't it? Um, I mean, I guess it kind of is actually, I think, um, I forget. I was going to say, I think um, without giving away, this movie might have one of the most devastating, like credit, like, uh, you know, what do you oh, call yeah. those? Like, a, um, you know, like explainer, like, uh, epilogues kind of things that I've yeah, seen yeah, where the text long, comes on the screen. Yeah. 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 It has one of the most yeah, devastating, like final lines of text on screen that I think I've seen in a long time in a film. Yeah. Um, but the reason, the reason I like this more than air is because I like air air is a movie. It, it's fun to watch. It's a dad movie, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, everyone can enjoy dad movies. Don't get it twisted, but I think it's just one of those movies where you're watching people be good at their jobs and taking big risks. And you're like, ah, how, what a fun, inspiring story. This movie, I think it has a very, very clear message it's like right there at the very beginning of the film. It sets that promise in really early and it tells you this is what this movie is about. It's about how this guy is a genius and th- his passion for technology is what's going to lead to BlackBerry being a thing. But then here's the weakness. And it's the sort of like you're seeing that like success can come even when you compromise your values and even when you make big changes. But it's a long term descent. And I think in the tech world, sometimes people think it all comes down to like one decision, particularly with BlackBerry. I think a lot of people are like, it's only because 
the iPhone happened. It's only because BlackBerry couldn't adapt. It's only because Nokia bought BlackBerry at one point. It's only because this, it's only because that. But you're watching this movie and you're seeing like they're hit with challenge after challenge. Um, all of these roadblocks to them being successful, hostile takeover attempts, um, Blackberries just like crapping out on their servers, um, all this like legal stuff that happens. And you see that like th- it is an entire mechanism of like doom that happens to companies. And th- I just think that it, it brings that message home in terms of like, here's this character at the beginning of the movie. Here's this character at the end of the movie. Here's how he gets there. And here's why it happened. And it's just, it just lays it out so elegantly and without being i don't know too sort of like it's not glorifying any of the stuff that happens it's not relishing in the downfall of anything it's just so matter of fact about it right and i think that's what these movies should do more often i guess it's not trying to like oh play it over the top it's not doing the tetris thing where we got to have like this whole like russian spy movie happening all of a sudden no none of that it it's just it's all like flavor in terms of how it delivers its message. Yeah, I mean, to kind of answer your question in a belated fashion from before, uh, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, this is a pretty small budget film. So I think they're pretty economical. It's a period piece, you know, in which are not cheap films to make. And not like a period piece in a way that we're traditionally known it to be, but like, you know, like this is, you know, not of the present. You have to have a lot of things that like make it feel of a piece with that time, but they don't really have a lot of, uh, you know, budget to play with. It's a Canadian production of, uh, you know, some small means. Uh, this might be the first Canadian film we've ever like reviewed as a main review on this show. I'd, I'd have to, uh, I guess, well, at least since the 20th century. That can't be true. <laughs> It has to be uh, at least since I feel the like we've century. done a lot, but we've just not pointed it out, right? Sure. But in any case, uh, well, I just I say that because I feel like this is the most uh, notable Canadian release in a while. Like it, it got like a fairly wide release. Uh, it, it's like not shy about talking about its Canadianisms and all that jazz. Uh, well, it's it's not a very wide. It's only playing in about four hundred and fifty theaters. Oh, I, um, I think more. yes, mostly in Canada. No, it's not playing yeah. everywhere. Um, it's only been it's only been out for five days, and I think sure. it's going to be expanding and everything. But hmm. it, I mean, it, just look at the box office. It's uh, sure. only made five hundred twenty thousand worldwide, and most of that, yeah, North North America. So you know, United States mm-hmm. and Canada. But yeah, I mean, we're we're still kind of early days on this movie in terms of, I, I think it'll probably expand because the reviews are so good, but it is, we're in summer movie season as well. Fast okay. 10 is coming. Little mermaid is coming. It's, mm. it's counter programming. Um, when I, sure. when I went to go see it, I mean, it is playing in a few theaters around the Bay area. Like I think three total. Uh, and for reference, the Bay area has like 20 to 30 theaters. Uh, when I went to go see this movie, uh, it was packed. You know, it, not every seat in the house was filled up, but I mean, people were like, oh, yeah, this is the oh. only theater playing it. So hmm. and it, also Silicon Valley was a theater in Silicon Valley. Sure. So, of course, you know, it, it's uh, selective watching there. But money on the table, if you ask me. All the Apple and Samsung employees, I presume, huddling together, being like, you guys ready to watch a real stitch <laughs> of a film? <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if Research in Motion even has like an office in this area. I mean, Nokia is is in the area. I don't, I don't think they own RIM anymore. Uh, let, mm. me, let me double check on that. I, I generally haven't kept tabs on BlackBerry in about five years. Sure. Um, I mean, why would since, you? Like, 
Yeah, I mean, it, curiosity. That's about it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, Sasha and Freud, I guess. Uh, for Sch- you know whatever Schaden reason. Freud, you mean? Schaden Freud. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't get Schaden Freud from the Blackberry story, not at all. Um, anyway. I actually find it kind of tragic that Blackberry couldn't be the Little Caesars to. Sure. You know, Apple and Google kind of being, and Samsung to an extent, I guess, being like the Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's. Like, I've always felt like BlackBerry mm. it had a niche, it had a, it had a really cool thing to it. But yeah, they just could not. Um, yeah, they they just could not compete at a certain point. Yeah, I think their last phone that I'm seeing here. Um, well, they had they started making Android phones in 2015. I remember that the BlackBerry Priv. But I don't know what their most recent phone is. So, yeah, well, no idea. Uh, way to strong arm the pizza wars into this. Uh, I always will. Kudos to you. Oh, so their their most recent phone, I found it. It's uh, it, it hasn't come out since 2018. I think that's like the last time I was keeping up a little bit with with BlackBerry. That's uh, BlackBerry Evolve X. Um, never even heard of this phone, actually. I mean, if I did, I just forgot it existed. So anyway, you were saying. Uh, but Blackberry yeah, uh, to go back to my point, um, in addition to, uh, you know, it being a, a fairly small scale film, uh, economically, it's also just, you know, it's condensing a lot of history in the two hours. And like you said, I, I admire how smart it is about like kind of just getting to the facts, but not feeling like a, like a Wikipedia entry, like so many biopics that we see just kind of feel like, and then this happens and then this happens and then we meet this person and yeah, you it know, doesn't have like intentionality to it. It's like, you're right. supposed to be telling a story. Yeah. It doesn't feel like we're getting to bullet points. Like it, it feels organic and it feels flowing and it's funny and it's well acted and you know, it's engaging uh, storytelling and it's got a lot to say about like, you know, the, the flaws of man and has a nice little kind of uh Raiders of the lost Ark tie to it uh, in an unexpected way. And yeah, it's just uh it's smart filmmaking here. Yeah. Th- this movie had me, when we skip the actual release of the first blackberry that's when i knew i was like okay we're good they know what to leave out that that to me is the the key and the trick to a any kind of biographical movie of this nature where you're covering a person or like a company or something along those lines when you know what to leave out, because so many people probably were looking at that script and like, well, you have to have like a whole scene and make it all dramatic about the first Blackberry where, you know, like when that's coming and hitting the shelf and you, oh, we got to see, you know, Mike's face when he, when he's holding the phone in his hands. No, we get to the point where he has the prototype and that is the, that is the moment. That's all you need. And the fact mm-hmm. that we cut years ahead of that, I actually think was a really smart move, a uh, risky move. Right. Because it could turn a lot of people off. A lot of people could be like, well, what happened in between? But then the movie just hooks you right back in with what comes next. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you uh, in the sense of like, uh, as you were saying earlier, that this is even though I do like air, I do think this is the stronger film. Uh, And a lot of it is because, like you're saying, like, I feel like that movie even though it does work, it does get a little too cutesy about like, you know, like wink, wink, here's, you know, this thing. And then characters being like, I don't know if that name works and stuff like that, where this is a lot more, uh, you know, organic to the scene, like I said before, and just kind of flowing. There's some stuff in it that's obviously, uh, you know, a little on the nose, like a little much like the, for instance, the, how the name Blackberry gets, uh, 
invented is a little a little much you know it's a little heavy-handed but those things are fairly few and far between because it focus primarily on the it characters could have been worse. it yeah. could it could have been a whole thing where all of a sudden somebody goes like and then another person starts clapping and it's like we will rock you gets written in that room. Sure. <laughs> like, it could have been that sure uh i, <laughs> Sorry, I don't even know I, if you're that's just my favorite, like, in Rhapsody, when all, all of a sudden they're like, wait, do that again. And someone's like, mm. <laughs> like that whole thing. I genuinely, for a moment, didn't know if you were referencing Bohemian Rhapsody or A Knight's Tale. <laughs> I mean, Knight's Tale just gets right into it. It's way smart sure. about that. Um, I do have a correction. I did see The Hunt. You were right. I forgot that I watched this movie. I brought it up on Letterboxd, and I, I, I logged it. I thought you did yeah i was confused i just I was like, don't remember talking about it on cinemaholics and i was like well if i don't remember it from cinemaholics how well maybe you just like watched it during the pandemic because it came out like very yeah. shortly before everything shut down maybe you just like watched it on vod or something and you just kind of forgot it because you know that no, year we did and- a review episode 159 the hunt guns akimbo i still believe never really sometimes always this is the hmm. episode i remember this episode because we had amanda the jedi on um oh, yeah, it was fun. the that was first fun time it was the introduction of our podcast service announcements it's when mr millennial hmm. uh and grandma charades first popped up into the scene so um you remember all of that but you just don't remember <laughs> the movie that we talked about. Yeah. What about that? How about that? Um, I, for, I remember. I seriously, I remember everything else about that about that episode. Um, hey, look. In my defense, that was 141 episodes ago, almost. We're at episode 324. Um, mm. So yeah, actually, yeah, that's 100 and that's more than 150 episodes. That's 170-something episodes. Anyway. We've been doing this a long time. we got to bring Amanda the Jedi back on. Yeah, we've had her on since the hunt, but, uh, you know. Well, well, not all the, I've had her on. Yeah, I was going to say. Not yeah, I, I, yeah, I always wanted to come back up. on, but you always bring her on for, like, some Netflix show I never watch. I mean, that's okay. We'll do it. But um, Blackberry. I appreciate, you know what, I, you know what, another connection between this movie and Air that I appreciate, and, and Tetris to an extent, I know you can't comment on, is that like, it's just nice seeing movies like this that are set in places that you don't readily think of as like, it's not Silicon Valley, it's not New York City, San Francisco, LA, it's Beaverton, Oregon for Nike uh, when we watch Air. Uh, in, tre- in Tetris, like, you know, he's in Moscow most of the movie, and in Blackberry, we're in Waterloo, Canada. You know, and it's just, it's kind of cool to like explore these other corners of like, yeah, the tech world exists. And it's more of a me thing, I guess, because like to me, everything tech is over here and it's kind mm. of exhausting, right? Yeah. You, probably you, from uh, your perspective, you live with your hand close to your face, Mr. I travel the world. Wait, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you visited uh, California, did you ever go to Silicon Valley? I know we went down there, but I, I don't remember if you really looked around. Like you didn't go to San Jose, yeah. right? No, I mean, you uh, drove me around and was like, there's that building and there's that building. And I was like, oh, cool. And yeah, I think uh, we passed yeah. by like LinkedIn. Um, yeah. I, I don't think we passed a lot of exciting stuff. We didn't pass by Facebook or Meta or right. whatever. Um, uh, we uh, spent most of our time uh, hanging out at a cool uh, taco truck. So that's, that's true. Uh, that's true. In, in my mind, that's the cornerstone <laughs> of technology happening in the Silicon Valley area. 
<laughs> I mean, that's actually not far away from the truth there. Uh, we have a lot of taco trucks. Um, but yeah, it, this, this is the kind of movie that I hope when we eventually get like a smartphone wars movie, because I'm sure we'll get one. I'm sure we'll get like a, an iPhone, Android, Google, like something that's going to be more definitive about that era um, between like when, when the iPhone was announced to I think like the peak of that would probably be like 2015, 2016, like where the iPhone started to get like big. You know, and you started having like a real smartphone race for like, who's going to have the biggest screen? Who's going to have the full size screen, the notch? Like there's all kinds of interesting stuff in this era, but it is still too recent. I feel like we're a ways away, but I hope that if we ever get uh, something along those lines, uh, if we get another movie like covering all this Twitter stuff going on with Elon Musk, I mean, I I think we could get something pretty entertaining (laughs) from a movie like that. Uh, yeah, I hope that it follows this kind of format that this movie Blackberry is. Uh, we haven't talked about the performances too much, I guess, but I really like, and, and so John Winkler wrote uh, a review for this for In Between Drafts, and he said something that I really agree with, which is that this, this to me feels like not just Glenn Howerton, which I think you agree, it's a great career move for the guy because it's a great role for the guy, but Jay Baruchel, who's, it just seems like he's settling he's kind of like pivoting away from being like the adorable dork um to sort of being like a character who has just more sort of like almost like a shakespearean quality to her his nerdiness i I don't remember this is the end uh really to that far details i feel like that was the last movie he was in that was like i mean what has he been in anything else that has been um i don't know a major role for the guy the How to Train Your Dragon movies, but he voices sure. those. He was in a show on FXX that I love dearly called Man Seeking Woman. He was terrific in that. Uh, okay. Very good show. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, I hate the movie. I'm Reed Fish, but, you know, I respect oh, him. I watch boy. it for his sake. Oh, uh, um, man. If only we could spend more time talking about I'm Reed Fish, a movie I saw <laughs> as a bit for you during the pandemic and I can barely remember now. <laughs> I still can't believe you watched that. Um, I, for me, for me, the big, the big Jay Baruchel movie. My introduction to the guy, I think, was "She's Out of My League," um, because I think that came out before "How to Train Your Dragon," or actually, like the same time no, as "How to Train year. Your Dragon." Same year, because uh, that was the same year Sorcerer's Apprentice also came out. I was going to say a big year. That was a big point. Um, because I remember him from Knocked Up. Right. Sorry. Yeah, he yeah, was in Knocked great- Up. Yeah, he's he's great in Knocked Out. I was gonna say like yeah, a string of like notable sporting turns. Uh, yes. Uh, but yeah, 2010 was just like when Hollywood was all in on uh, Jay Burchill. Jay Burchill fever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he kind of had he kind of had like that that thing, you know, where he's talking like this, and he's like, "Hey, look, man, I just want to you know work on my phone." I, you know, sure. he, he was just so endearing. You know, I mean, I get like. Uh, you know, like when Superbad became like a huge hit and they were like, oh, oh boy. Like we got to just like put all of our stock on the Apatow crew. It made sense. Like, yeah. all right, you know, like Jason Siegel, he writes his own screenplays, was on How I Met Your Mother. There you go. But then, yeah, like Jay Burchill, I, I can see like they were like, okay, yeah, you know, lanky, dorky, nerdy, nerdy stuff's kind of cool now. It's happening. Let's uh, put him on the front of movies. Uh, but then, yeah, unfortunately, he kind of got 
typecast in that. Um, yeah. And and this, you know, it, it's it's interesting because like when the movie starts, you you kind of see him playing into that typecast to a certain extent, but the role as it evolves sees him kind of playing into that to some extent, but also like pushing past it in a way that's like you know he's you know going against those instincts but also it's like the character himself is sort of playing a character as well like someone like a jay burchell character trying to be a, a tough guy and stuff and uh it's a transition that i i don't imagine you're gonna just you're gonna agree with me on this but i feel like is not quite as organic as i was hoping it could also just be because of the extreme time jumps in the film but uh, it, it is one that I think is very fascinating and, and gets the root of uh, the tragedy of the film. Which yeah, I, find very I, I think I think it works for me because you can tell that it's not really him. You can tell that what he's doing is a performance and he is acting a certain right. way, not because it's his true nature, but because it's what he thinks he has to do and he's fallen into these habits. I think that's why the performance actually really struck me, if anything, because I didn't believe it. I, you know, because well, there's still those glimpses, yeah. right? Of like, he still has that tick to him of like what he really cares about, but you just see it. It's like, a, it's become a defense mechanism for him at this point to cope with everything that's changed in his life for him to just be like, I have to be like Jim. I have to do what Jim does. And it's that, mm-hmm. that age old mantra of like, you know, if you, you know, t- show me who your friends are, I'm going to show you either who you are, or who you will be. And that mm-hmm. is another really interesting underlying theme to this movie. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I wasn't criticizing his performance, but rather uh, what I thought might have been a fault of the kind of uh, truncated story. But I agree with you in the sense that, like, yeah, we're not really supposed to believe that this is him being true to his character, that he's beco- fully become this person, but rather him acting as though he has to be this because that's the only way he can really succeed and fulfill his dreams. Little does he know that he's going to uh, go against everything that he values and subsequently uh, tarnish his legacy in the process. And uh, yeah, yeah, because he has that speech, right? He's like, well, perfect is the enemy of good, Mm. you know, or like good enough is the enemy of humanity is his response Mm -hmm. to that. right? Right. And like that ethos, like I also just really love what this movie has to say about, you know, company culture. And what really attracts people to work at different places. And we see this all the time with these companies. You know, I I like to watch uh, YouTube videos a lot on sort of how like the progression or the downfall or the rise of certain companies. And you see it time and time again, like they start out like a startup or like some kind of small business and everybody's plugged in. Everybody has a stake. Everybody wants to see it succeed. But then you bring in the Michael Ironside character, right? You just slowly suck the soul out of it. it goes public. It has shareholders. Um, every year, it's it's not about just like making people making money and, and having a great success and, and living off of that. It's we have to make more money than last year. We have to, you know, grow, 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 do whatever it takes. And that just what ends up happening is like you look around and you see like what brought you to that place of genius, like that BlackBerry concept, the real innovation that they stumbled upon came from the first, really that first room or the first time we see that room that they're in where it's the guys hanging out and yeah, they have a lot of problems. They needed help. They were naive and they let themselves get sucked into, you know, the pirates of Silicon Valley. But at the same time, you know, these were guys who really cared about each other and were able to do what they did. And and that was the thing Like this movie's like high point is when it, it seems to like argue that if you have a healthy balance of these things, then you can, then everybody gets what they want. 
right? And that really is like sort of like this after the first time jump. But then, of course, you see how those compromises can cascade. Because to me, to my to my knowledge, the things that they have to do to prevent getting bought out, you could almost look at that as sort of like, you know, what they should have done instead of being like, well, then we have to do all of these things, compromise our moral integrity in order to keep on succeeding, keep on growing. Maybe they didn't have to do that. Maybe they just had to let it end, let a good thing end. Uh, there's something that Canadian TV shows and uh, British TV shows tend to be better at than American ones is that they end at a good time. <laughs> they end on a high note. You know, uh, they don't just keep going and going and going. I think of like uh, Schitt's Creek, Schitt's Creek, which I don't even think you've ever seen, but that is that is a show that perfect length. They were like, all right, we did like four seasons. I think it was four. And it was just like we we we, we told the story. That's it. And then it ended and nobody like there was no sort of like, we got to come back. We got to do nah. It ended and everybody liked it. The end. Yeah. I mean, I saw a little bit of it. Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched like a full episode, but I'll take your word for it. It was playing during like a, you were at a college party and it was playing on like the TV and you kind of like looked over and. Uh, nope. That is another yep. reference to Mad Men Men. Uh, subscribe that now is on true. your podcast of choice. Wherever you find your podcast um yeah. yeah um but yeah I, I otherwise i mean i can't agree with the the shit's creek but i i agree with all that you're saying about blackberry do, do you have like a british show or canadian show that you like because it it didn't just keep getting dragged on i guess oh, i don't I know mean, if you watch a lot of i would say the the perfect example would be the british office compared to the american office yes. which i think yes that is uh a- mm-hmm the British Office, I think, is one of the rare perfect series because it knows exactly when to end. Uh, if you don't count the uh, David Trent movie that Ricky Gervais made, however many years later, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a brilliant example of like you know they end it at the exact right time, perfect ending. And then the American one is like even when the main character leaves the show, they still go on for like three seasons, uh, <laughs> and yeah, they just don't know when to end it because it's such a you know. Enterprise, and I get it because you know that that show is, hasn't been on TV in like twelve years, and people are still quoting and gifing and memeing it uh, endlessly. But yeah, that's a a, 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 clear, a clear example of British versus American television. Blackberry premiered at the seventy third Berlin International Film Festival back in February. Um, uh, as we mentioned, it's been playing in uh, both Canada and the United States. I don't know, Will, why you're showing me your your bubbly can uh are you just really excited you're gonna drink some bubbly or well i mean i couldn't find an actual blackberry because i don't know where i could find oh one, but it's a blackberry I, flavored i couldn't tell I got blackberry yeah there you go nice nice i'm glad you I get stole this from work things whoa well i won't tell anybody um but yeah uh i don't know if it's going to be expanding its release i hope it does uh because look the reviews are really good and and speaking of which we should play the rotten tomatoes game how about it yeah, I mean, real quick things I wanted to say before I forgot. Uh, one, it was really fun to see, uh, I think his name's uh, Sung Won Chow. He's a famous YouTuber. Cho. Sorry, so, Sung yes. Won Cho. Uh, I don't think I've he ever seen a lot him in a of, movie. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of Instagram reels. I don't send them to you, so I know you won't care. 
Oh, I like his stuff on uh, YouTube, but uh, I don't watch all of it because I know it's a lot of video game anime stuff that I don't keep up with. But mm-hmm. uh, it was just really nice. to. I know he mostly does like voiceover work. So it was nice to not only see him in a movie, but in, you know, like a live action film. I thought that was really cool. Uh, the other thing uh, I was kind of spoiled about this beforehand, but I didn't know when it was going to show up is that the movie references one of my all time favorite uh, YouTube videos. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you have to remind me. The Steve Spiros. Easy going. Those who know me, nope. I'm a sleepwalk. Uh, anyway, uh, at, at one point during a heated moment where uh, Glenn Howerton's character, in a moment of true villainy, uh, tries to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins and send them over to Canada. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't uh, say what happens there for okay. anyone who wants to. But uh, yeah, he, he quotes uh, Steve Spiros. He says, I'm going back to Waterloo where the vampires come from. And I was like, oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't, I don't know the YouTube video. I was wondering. I was like, that's so random. I thought you, you were going to mention Carrie Ells is in this movie, but. Oh, it, well, yeah, sure. Um, I thought it was nice to see him. Like some of yeah. us like Princess Bride, I guess. Good movie. Yeah. But have you not seen the Steve Spiros video? No, I don't think so. Oh, wow. I got to send that. I watched that pretty much like. At least once a week, I think. Sorry, sorry for disappointing you. I didn't mean to. Uh, if I hadn't done the Always Sunny double feature, uh, which I watched Fool's Paradise right after uh, Blackberry, uh, the Charlie Day film, uh, I would have immediately rewatched, uh, you know, the Sea Spirits video. Don't worry, I did rewatch it before this review. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. So we have 133 reviews counted. I mean, that's more... More reviews than tickets that have been sold. <clears throat> so, uh, Will Ashton, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the uh, critic score is right now on Rotten Tomatoes? Let's go. I'm gonna imagine it's pretty high. Um, I don't know if it's in the 90s or not, but I'm going to say 87. percent It is higher. Is it 92? Higher. Is it 95? Higher. Is it 98? 98. Wow, that's it much was 99. percent there's only two rotten reviews. Mm. Um, one of them I actually think is kind of funny um, <laughs> because so I, and look, I'm not going to I don't want to make fun of people. I'm just, you know, I'm on the Internet. I, I wouldn't dare. But uh, so there is one rotten review from somebody who writes for Critics Notebook, which I've never heard of. Um, and they said the movie can't rouse the full spectrum of human emotions. A movie about communication needs. It's not really a movie about communication. Um, it doesn't even explain how the name Blackberry was chosen, <laughs> which I just thought was funny because it's like, oh, they missed it. And then they ended up putting that in their Rotten Tomatoes blur. Yeah. Which <laughs> they didn't even explain it. Well, I mean, it is funny that they gave it a splat and then missed the, the splat that uh, was at the center. Yeah. Of the- <laughs> Well, well said. Well yeah. said. Well, I could. Uh, and then the other person who gave it a negative review was, wouldn't you believe it, Richard Brody? Um, which, you know, it's Richard Brody. What are you going to do? I'm a fan of his. I'm sure you had plenty to say. Um, what about the audience score, Will? What do you think? Um, I, I imagine it's maybe not as high as the critic score, but probably still pretty high. Uh, I am going to say. 94%. Well, it's a little bit lower. Hmm. Is it the 87 that I qu- uh, that I guessed before? Jesus, not that much lower. It's 91. Oh, okay. How about right. that? There's no cinema score. Now, I'm going to be in Vegas tomorrow. 
Mm. Um, so if I can catch the cinema score of this movie, I already watched it. I don't want to watch it again. No, so I mean, I don't care what screening it is. You got to get into <laughs> some cinema score screening. Uh, maybe, you liked Fast maybe, X. You guys should that again. Do. Yeah. Well, if you ever if you ever get married, your bachelor party should be in Vegas, and our main goal mm. should be to get you to a cinema score. Maybe that'll screening. be uh, my fortieth uh, birthday party. Will be going to Vegas <laughs> and going into cinema score. Whatever comes first. How about that? Um. All right. Well, no cinema scores. We'll finish out on the average review, the average rating on Letterboxd. We only have 10,000 watches on Letterboxd. Not a lot. Um, what do you think the average rating is right now? Uh, I have to imagine it's pretty high. Uh, I don't think it's as high as uh, last week's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But uh, I'm going to guess it's pretty close in the sense that it's probably uh, like 3.6. Ah, a bit higher. Remember, mm. Guardians of the Galaxy was 4.2. So that's not right. 3.6 isn't that close. Well, I mean, higher um, than your average uh, letterbox score, I guess, is what I was trying to say. Uh, is well, it, it is 3. higher 8? than three points. Uh, it's 3.9. Almost oh, got wow. it. Okay. So, um, okay. And I just double-checked, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is still 4.2 average rating. I, I double-checked. Like it. It's like, oh, I wonder. It's um, uh, holding steady at the box office. It is. It's, big, it's uh, an unmitigated success, as a lot of us predicted. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at my letterbox, Will, and it's it's almost unanimous. I'm seeing nothing, but I'm seeing lots of fours, a few three and a halves, but like almost fours across the board. Friends of the show agree. Emma Sasek gave it four. Chris Evangelista gave it three and a half. I mean, the the gang, is, they have Blackberry fever. A Man of the Jedi, who we were just talking about, four stars. Um, I actually don't have, I don't think, a, ne- a single negative review. Yeah, I don't have a single negative review. Um, so look at that. Maybe this thing's going to have a little bit of buzz at a couple of awards, uh, this year. Uh, I doubt like the Oscars, but, uh, I could see, you know, a couple spots, a couple things, critics choice, HCA. Let's see it. Yeah, I was, I, I mean, I think the, the best chance it has would probably be for Glenn Howerton's performance. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get an Oscar play. I'm sure IFC is going to try to push for it. Uh, in some fashion or another, but I definitely could see, uh, like you said, some critic critic choice uh, associations would probably champion it. Yeah. Probably maybe get in a few adapted screenplay if that's a weak category this year. You never know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if, if uh, Killers of the Flower Moon uh, is as good as people are hoping, and we'll find out soon enough when it premieres at the Cannes Film Festival uh, happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see it losing to something like that, but uh, it's way too early to know. It, it certainly is. Um, but that'll do it. It's I, I certainly know that it's time for us to say goodbye. Uh, next week, uh, what are we talking about? Well, are we talking about Fast 10? The Fast and Furious 10? Fast 10 or Fast Sin. I uh, hope we can also talk about Sanctuary at some point. I haven't seen it. Calm down. Um, well, I could get a screener, but I don't even think I have time to watch it. One, I was, I don't think Sanctuary is coming out near me this weekend, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, but the one I was, if, if we didn't do Fast oh, yeah, X, it's limited release. Yeah. Uh, if we didn't do Fast X, the one I would be pushing for and one I'm hoping to see uh, in this upcoming Master week Gardner? is Master Gardener, Paul Schrader's Master Gardener. Heard it's bad, but also I've heard, heard it's good. It's good. Yeah, I've so, heard it's good. That's all I need to know. Um, we do have, I think, um, 
Yes, we have uh, Lenora Waits reviewing that for us at In Between Drafts. Mm. So how about that? How about that? Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. I did see Fast Ten uh, sure. on Monday. I saw The Little Mermaid last night. And I look, I could use a, a sanctuary right now. I'm I'm a bit blockbustered out. That was mm. that. That's a lot of movie two days in a row. I'm not going to lie to you, Will. I mean, um, I know you liked Fast Ten. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Fast Ten was neat. I don't know where you stand on Little Mermaid 2013. It's not that bad. I've heard people say it's the best Disney live or one of the best Disney live action remakes. And I'm no. saying, is that a is that a a threat a phrase or is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, it's better than Beauty and the Beast. It's better than The Lion King. It's better than Pinocchio. But I mean, look, I'm saying that it's better than these movies that are trash. Um I think it's about as good as Cinderella, which I didn't like that much, but I know other oh, I people liked, did. So I, I think Cinderella. it'll probably, I think it'll do fine. I, I think, um, I like, I still like Aladdin a little bit more, but I mean, they're all just kind of disposable to me. It, it, it it's better than Mulan, way better than Mulan. Forgot about that one. I mean, um, and then what else? Think, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. And then, uh, yeah, I think Cinderella for me works in that disposable way because it's not, being like so beholden to the Disney film and reminding people of that, but rather just being another adaptation of Cinderella, not the best, but you know, certainly not the worst. And it's just like, it's just another version of Cinderella. And that would be my hope for little mermaid. Whenever I get around it's, to seeing it, it's, it's just pretty like, beholden. Hmm. It's, it's, but it's, it's kind of like doing the beauty and the beast thing where it's like, we got to have a new original. We have to have new songs because of course we have to do exactly like the same things structurally the same but i think where it does kind of work it works way better in the second half because i like when the main girl i forget her hallie haley something when she loses her voice this is gonna sound terrible when she shuts up no it's not that but like when it kind of becomes it becomes actually pretty interesting when it's just her and the guy sort of like trying to connect and it would, it becomes more of like a romantic comedy. And it's the same thing as like that. That's my favorite thing from the original little mermaid. I was like, get out of the water. It's too wet. But like when you're on land and you're having like the antics and it's like the fish out of water, literally they do a different spin on it in this movie that actually does feel like something that is a progression from the original, not done better, but done differently. And so I think that's what people are responding to. But mm. the first 30 minutes of the movie are rough, especially because the effects are pretty bad. Anytime they're underwater, it's like Aquaman came out five years ago. Are you sure? Because I'm watching this movie and, and like it's making Aquaman look like Mad Max Fury Road. I don't understand it. And, um, uh, the underwater effects are atrocious. And I don't know if it's partly because I saw it in... Um, Dolby IMAX. Mm. So like that had to have like it, the details are even more expanded and they're trying to, you know, put all the detail. It's just bad. It, it looks really bad. But then when they're on land, it's fine. Uh, yeah, it probably doesn't help that uh, Avatar The Way of Water also came out less. Yeah, than, that's uh, right. Six, mo- six months ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. uh, 
That's our review, Blackberry. Uh, and our review of The Little Mermaid. It's probably all we um, needed. <laughs> I feel like this episode has been more tangent-y than most, which is interesting because uh, like a week or so ago, uh, I was talking to, uh, not really a consultant, but somebody who was listening to the show and I, I was asking for some feedback. And they were like, yeah, it's, you know, it's fun, uh, good show. Too many inside jokes. And I'm like, okay. Is that <laughs> what like do you tangents? expect after? It's, we've been doing this for almost seven years. I mean, <laughs> it's no. getting hard not to do the inside jokes. But I don't but know. Fair enough. I don't know if he meant like, like actual inside jokes, or if that meant like tangents or mm. what. But I was trying to like, okay, maybe we can. Maybe I'll try to train myself to rein that back. Then we put this episode out, and it's just. <laughs> I don't even know if you we couldn't. even talked about BlackBerry. I think we spent half the time talking about everything else. Yeah, we talked about phones. That should be good. Sure. Um, I don't know. When people tell me about the sh- what they hear on the show, they seem to like it best when we talk about um, the stuff that, like, the, the, the context of the movies. I think usually, like, people listening haven't watched the movie, or if they have, they're, like, sort of... I don't know. They're they're sort of like, what did I just watch? And I I've been told many times that like when we get it a little bit into detail of like who these actors are and how everything fits together before we even start talking about the movie, people are like, that's kind of that helps me get in, especially the right mindset to know if I'm going to like the movie mm-hmm. and if I should see it before I keep listening to the review. I heard that uh, quite a bit actually over the years. So how about that? Stay tuned for more of that. I guess uh, we'll end- see you all next yeah. week. All what? right. I was going to say, are we going to end this podcast at any point? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let's keep, I got another three minutes in me. No. Oh, uh, from the internet, California, I'm John Negroni. And from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. I thought you were going to do, well, that happened. That's an, another inside joke. See you next time.